0: Okay, um, please stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis two eighteen to 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his.
1: Good morning, Echo Church. anybody hear me OK? We didn't do a sound check beforehand, so just making sure we're we're doing this on the fly here this morning. Um, good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor JD. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm looking forward to the chance to do that. We are going to continue our series this morning in Creating Eden, which is a series in which we are trying to see what does the Word of God, specifically the book of Genesis, say about the family. And so far, we have covered a number of different topics. Uh, and so I wanna, what I want to do is just give a sense of where we're going, or where we've been, and then I want to pray, and then we'll go from there. So where we have been so far is talking about this idea that God created Adam and Eve as human beings to image him, okay? Now, that imaging is probably something, if you've been in church for some time, that, is, that you're probably familiar with. You've probably heard the term, humans are image bearers of God. But one thing that, one teaching that's a little bit more rare is that the family also, is an image bearer of God. So that your role within your family is also displaying something about who God is. And so we've, we talked last week to fathers and husbands. And we talked about your role in the family to image something about God to the world in the way in which you act within your family. And today we will be talking to the wives, future wives, and mothers and future mothers. And so uh, this is uh, a good opportunity for us to just see what God's word has to say about imaging him um, uh, in the ladies of our church and how they are to image him for. So let me pray and let's jump into the text. Father, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would be upon this room and upon anyone hearing my voice. God, this topic is so rife with difficulties, difficulties that perhaps the world has brought in, difficulties that perhaps technology has brought in. There's confusion. There's even fighting about what the role of a woman would be in family. And so God, I pray for words that are your words and words that are seasoned with grace and words that are not simply giving forth a command or a directive, but giving forth the gospel of your son, which saved us from our shame, saved us from our sin, saved us from even the ways in which we have maybe prioritized other things. And so God, I pray that we would hear this morning, your grace in the midst of also hearing your truth that there would be a balance because you are a a God that always perfectly balances grace and truth. So I pray that my words would be your words this morning and where they are not, Lord, let that just be done away with. And I pray we would hear intently what you have to say to us. We pray this in Jesus name, amen, amen. So last week, as I said, we talked to the husbands, we talked to the fathers. And here was the main idea that we said to husbands and fathers, husbands and fathers or future men who desire to be. So your job in your family is two things to provide and to protect. And if you remember, we saw that out of Genesis chapter two, verse 15. So out of Genesis 2.15, God says to Adam, he says, I'm, he plant, it says about Adam that he planted Adam in the garden to do two things. There's two things Adam was supposed to do in the garden. He was supposed to provide in the garden. He was supposed to work whatever that meant in perfect paradise to work, to, to, to provide food from the garden for his family, to work the, the garden. He was also to, the Hebrew word is shamar. He was to keep the garden. He was to protect. He was to guard the garden. And we saw that and we, t- we went then to men and we said, okay, men, this is the picture of the family that God has now given to you. And you are meant to be like God in that God is a provider. And you're meant to be like God in that God is a protector. So there's an imaging now that you do, men. And so today, we're really, this is the corollary, this is the other side of the coin, if you will, to last week's sermon. So the topic is the same. The main idea is the same because there is another imaging that's going forth here. There's something else that is imaging, but now we're talking about Eve and we're talking about you ladies. And we're talking about what aspects of God you uniquely image forth. So I don't want to lose, as we get into the nitty gritty, as we get into difficult concepts and how the Bible works into our everyday life, I don't want to lose the main point of this whole thing, which is that ladies, this morning, ladies, you are to image forth something about God in the way you are a wife and the way you are a mother. Now, here's what's awesome about that. You ready? It isn't just some dry command where God just says, just do this. Because I said so, you just do this. It just so happens that when we as human beings are imaging forth the glory of God in the way in which we live. In other words, when we're living rightly according to the word of God, there is immense joy in our hearts. There is a fulfillment that happens in our hearts when we image forth what God wants for us. And that's true of men who we talked to last week. And it's true of women who we're talking to today. Now, one other thing I want to say before we jump in, last week, I said to the ladies, because it wasn't about them last week, I wasn't talking directly to them. I said to them, listen carefully to this sermon. I said it last week, because no decision that's ever made in a family is just unilateral. In other words, no decision is just one person just making the decision as if it's in a vacuum. And last week, I talked about this idea of the stepping stones over a river where a husband and wife might be standing on different stones and they may need to get one to the other stone, but until one vacates that stone, vacates that particular role, that particular aspect where they've been fulfilling until they step away from that stone, the other one can't step to that stone. This week is the same men listen carefully to what God's word says to the ladies this morning. Because it may be in your family that in some ways, not even known to you or not even desired by you, you are standing in the way of something God may be calling her to do. So be aware of that. Okay, enough preliminaries. Let's jump in. I want you guys to see the main point of the text right, up, right off the front. And then we're going to jump into the text itself. Here's the main point if you're taking notes. Eve is a helper to Adam providing under his provision and protecting under his protection okay Eve is a helper to Adam providing under his provision and protecting under his protection so let's look at our text Genesis 2:18 Genesis 2:18 then the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone i will make him a helper fit for him. So I want you to notice the beginning of Genesis here before the fall, when we are in perfect creation, I'm sorry, perfect. Uh, it, we're in the garden. We're in perfection here. God has created all things. It is perfect. No sin has entered into this picture yet. God says, it's not good that man be alone. I'm going to make a helper. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. So already before Eve is even created, we have one of Eve's jobs clearly laid out before us. She is to be a helper according to Genesis 2.18. What does that mean? Well, before we even get to all that a helper means, I want to first look even back to the very first clause of what God says. It is not good that the man should be alone. What will she be for him then? If it is not good that he be alone, if he is alone without her, what then is she to be for him? We get a picture by understanding even just the way the sentence talks about Adam without Eve of what Eve is going to be. We already get a hint at what she's going to be. She will be someone, this is going to be a brilliant point. Are you ready? Who does not make him alone. You're going, wow, I'm so glad I came this morning. Listen, I I want to dig into what that means. I want to dig in just for a second. What does it mean that she will make him not alone? Well, before any task we get to. So ladies, before any, any any tasks of what you're called to be as a wife or as a mother, first and foremost, you will make for you will be for your husband one who does not make him alone. Just let that land on you for just a second. Can you feel what's behind those words? You don't make him alone. You are an emotional and relational companion to your husband. Just pause for a minute and feel that. And, and, and ladies, here's what's amazing about how God made you. And I'm going to generalize a lot. This I'm going to generalize. Are there, are, there, are there examples? Are there counter examples of what I'm about to say? Yes but I'm going to generalize about you ladies for a minute. You were created by God to be an emotional and relational companion. This is one of the things that God made you to be. You reflect this in your ability to befriend and engage in conversation, lots of different people. You have an ability, you have an emotional ability to see things that so many men cannot see. You have an engagement with people that is amazing that many men do not have. You are uniquely suited in your ability to be a companion. God gave you this. So whether you're married or not, this is generally who you are. You may be an introvert or you may be an extrovert. It doesn't change the fact that this is true. What it does change being an introvert is that you may be better at engaging in one or two people at one time. That doesn't change the fact that you are a better conversationalist. You're typically better in the way you engage people emotionally. You tend to be higher on the compassion scale than the average man you tend to be a better conversationalist. You can just, you can share, you can talk, you can, you can engage. And this reflects who you are. And it reflects this, this emptiness in a sense that God saw in Adam when Adam was alone. There's one who needs to come alongside of him to be that for him. So ladies, if you're married this, this morning, don't miss the fact that God made you in some sense to be an emotional, relational support and connection to your husband. And oftentimes your husband is lacking in those things. You come alongside him and you help him in areas that he is, is just, as I just look across at who men generally are, we tend to lack in the very things that you provide in a marriage and in a friendship. And it makes a marriage a friendship, you guys. But the best marriages, if you look around you, are friendships, friendships. So we haven't even gotten to the word yet, but now let's look now at, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now we're going to focus in on this word helper. What does it mean? The Hebrew word is etzer, etzer. And we see it happen again in Genesis two, verse 20. You can look down in your Bibles to G- Genesis two, twenty. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, There was not found a helper. There it is, fit for him. Here's point number one, if you're taking notes. Eve's mission is to reflect God as a helper. By coming along to reflect God as a helper. Now, what do I mean by that? True word. Here's, here's, Here's what we find. Okay, we look, for instance, at Exodus chapter 18, verse 4. Listen to what Moses does when he names one of his children. Here's what he does. And the name of the other, Moses is naming his kids. The name of the other, um, and the name of the other, comma, Eliezer. Can you hear it in there? Eliezer, Eliezer. For he said... The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So Moses is naming his children and he's looking back to the crossing of the Red Sea where the children of Israel were crossing the Red Sea. You guys know the story. The Red Sea parts, they cross the sea. Pharaoh's army comes in. God collapses the sea upon Pharaoh's army, killing all of them, right? And it was this incredible moment where the people were finally set free. They were on the other side of the Red Sea and they were able to go towards the promised land. And Moses is looking back on this as he names his children. And he says, I am gonna name my son Eliezer which means El, God. The word E in Hebrew is is my. So it's the possessive pronoun, my God, and then Ezer, my God is a helper. So Eliezer means my God is a helper. So if you look at how this word is used in Hebrew, It is used of God, get ready for it, 10 times out of its 14 uses. So 10 of the 14 times this this word is used in the Bible, it is used of, of God. God is the one who's being the helper. So lest you think that this is some, you know, push women down, demoralizing kind of, well, you're down at the bottom because you're just a helper. God says, I'm calling you a helper because I first and foremost am a helper and you're going to reflect me being a helper in your marriage. That's what you're to do. That's how you Eve are to image forth God. Remember Adam was to image forth God and what in providing and protecting And Eve is to image forth God in his role of being a helper. There are verses that we know, by the way, where this word occurs. Psalm 121. Many of you know this verse, this Psalm. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my, what? My help come from. My eights My help, my eights comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God is a helper. And we reflect that when we live as a helper in that particular role that God created you to be ladies in your marriage, you are to be a helper. So there's two conclusions that I would draw from this so far. Here's two things that I wanna say. Number one, this word is most often used of God helping his people. Number two, it is never used of Adam in his role towards Eve. Does that mean, husbands, you never help your wives? No, that's ridiculous. But it is not used of your role in describing your role towards your wife. It is used of the role of your wife towards you. Now we're going to talk about it. What does that mean then? What does that mean? If she is uniquely called a helper and she is to uniquely reflect God in all of his glory as a helper to the world, like this is what God is like. So then what does that mean? Well, one way to say this is that Eve was to help Adam in what he was called to do. So then we have to go back to last week. What was Adam called to do? She's supposed to be a helper in what he is called to do. What is Adam called to do? Provide and protect. Therefore, what can we say Eve then was to do? If she was to help Adam, she is to provide and protect. Well, then what's the difference? Can we just say, well, everybody's the same then. Everybody has the same role. Everybody has the same mission. No, no. Eve's mission is to help her husband in the provision and the protection. Do you see it there? I hope you see it here. If you don't see it here, challenge me on it. If you don't see it here, man, come to me. I'm, I'm never going to bite your head off. I want to sit down and have conversations about this, but I hope you see it here in the text. She's to help him in his mandate. That, that, that changes her role a little bit, doesn't it? It makes it slightly different than his role but she may be find herself doing some of the same things. How so? What is it that she is supposed to do? Let me start by making an argument that comes more from the natural world that we see around us than from the Bible. I'm just going to admit that right now. It comes more from the natural world. As we look at what a man is, what a woman is history, things like that. than from the Bible. In other words, I don't have a verse right here. I can't throw a verse out here and say, here's why, but I think it works. I think it works logically. In providing for their family, men have the primary role of bringing raw provision into their family. Now, just pause for a minute, think about that. Imagine for a moment that we don't live in this technological society that's only been around for maybe the last 100 years. Imagine we are living in a society that's maybe the way humans have lived for thousands and thousands of years. Men, your job, if we were all living a thousand years ago, would have been to go out and get some raw resources from nature. Like in a way you're sort of supposed to conquer nature, like cut some trees down, right? Go out and kill the the wild boar or whatever it is, go domesticate animals and bring them in and like like do a lot of the harder work of farming, right? You got a role to do men. And then those resources, what do they do? They come into the home. They come into the home. And then when, what are women doing? Well, women are in, they're, they're typically were at that time in the home and they were taking the resources that the men provided and making something beautiful out of that. Like, I'm just going to use an example of like sheep minute. If you've ever seen a sheep get it is so like the, 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 the shepherd or whoever's the one doing the sheep physically grabs the sheep and flips. This thing's got legs, by the way, it's going to It's gonna hit you, right? So there's this technique of bending the neck sideways on the sheep and pulling the sheep back as you then snip under its belly and all the fur all around it, right? You are physically holding this sheep while you do it. What's my point? Well, how did you get wool for the winter? You physically grabbed a sheep and you sheared it. But then you don't see the family walking around with just literal sheep's wool, do you? There's a role here of provision as she takes in the raw resources that the men were bringing in and she makes something beautiful out of it. Where am I getting this? I can go back to scripture now. Where am I getting this? Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31, Let's look at first let's look at verses 10 through 12. Proverbs 31 is a is a it is a section of proverbs about the excellent wife. And by the way ladies, this woman is a picture of perfection according to Solomon and that time period of what a wife was to be back then, okay? So just understand that. Proverbs 31:10 An excellent wife who can find She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. So just stop right there. Can you hear the helper idea there? She does him good. He has no lack of gain. I don't think because she's the one out there chopping the trees down. I don't think that's what that means. I think there's a gain that her husband gets because of the the way she is handling the raw resources that are coming into the home and the way she's taking those and making them beautiful. How do I know? Well, let's go on. Let's go on in the passage. Verses 21 to 23. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. What has she done? What has she done? She's taken the resources that have come in from the outside and she's made something absolutely beautiful out of it. She's clothed her family in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Why is that included? Verse 23. Why is that? What does that have to do with anything of a wife? Her husband is well respected. What's the point if you include that within this long poem about what a wife is? It's because behind every good man is a good woman. I know that sounds sounds cliche, but friends, listen, in order to be the husband that he needs to be, he has a wife helping and supporting him and enabling him and giving him all that he needs to succeed and go forward. And where there is no wife behind him doing that, he is severely lacking That's the picture that Proverbs 31 is giving us here. She's a helper. Okay. So again, some generalizations. Generally, men will build a structure and women will make it a home. Generally. Can you think of counterexamples? Sure. So can I. Generally, men will build the structure Generally, women will make the structure into a home. Generally, men will shear the sheep and women will make the wool, right? I already talked about that. Generally women have a better idea about how a house should be decorated. They use part of the family income. Okay. This is modern family. Now part of the family income in order to decorate it. I, most guys I know do not decorate their homes. And i if you do, I'm not shaming you at all. I'm saying you're different than most men. Most women will decorate their home. Why is that? What did God give you ladies? What is it that's inside of you that makes you go on Pinterest and look at all the stuff and figure it all out? I don't see a lot of guys doing that. And again, I'm not, I don't want to shame you guys if you do that. Some of you are going to be amazing artists and decorators, and that's, your, that's like this unique gift that you have, man. But that's not the general rule. Generally, again... Women will spend time cooking a meal for their family, which they purchased out of the family income or a thousand years ago, which the men brought in the raw materials for. And then it turns into something delicious because raw meat's not that great. And if guys had their way, they would just throw the meat on the fire. Right. And that would just there you go. But the seasoning and the mixture and the the unique tastes of putting everything together is something that typically, generally has fallen to women because it's part of beautifying the raw resources that are coming in. So do you see how he's a provider? Do you get now how he's providing and then she's providing? Do you see the difference there? He's bringing in the resources into the home and she's then making them into something. That's way better than if he just brought raw resources into the home. So there's this picture of helping that now combines what Adam is supposed to do and she finds her place now within that. Generally, we could say this, women provide greater beauty and usefulness out of their husband's raw provision. That's what you do. You make things beautiful. And, and, and generally women, and I'm not making this statement about any woman in particular outside of my wife. Generally women, you are beautiful. Men are not beautiful. We don't use that term. Who you are, you are a different being, a different person than your husband. I, I know that it just sounds, it's like obvious that I have to say that. But remember the day and age that we are in right now. You have unique characteristics. You have unique gifts. And my desire as your pastor this morning is to see you charge after those gifts and all that God has made you to be so that he is glorified first and foremost. And so that you have the joy of living the way that God has intended you to be. So this idea of provision coming from outside and the woman making something better actually also applies to your role in childbearing. Now, I'm gonna make this PG here. I'm gonna keep it scientific, but let's consider this for a second. In order for Eve to produce children, Adam gives her some of his genetic material, okay? That's all I'm gonna say. Give some of her, his genetic material, what happens inside of her body? A miracle takes place within her body, something beautiful and amazing comes forth with at least half of the genetic genetic material coming from Adam. And nine months later, under normal and good circumstances comes a new human life. Who made that? Well, we would say, well, God did. Yes, but where was that made? inside of a woman she made that life out of her body like you get does that ever just blow your mind her body knew how to build a baby and adam had like no part in that right he was it was just he he did his part he was done and then here comes a baby nine months later And yes, I'm, I'm, I'm reasoning from the way I'm reasoning from natural, the natural world for a minute. But I think in the natural world, God is giving you ladies a picture of what you're supposed to be. Take what you are given and make it beautiful. Make it amazing. Whether you're building a baby or whether you're making your house decorated and look more like a home. These things are valuable. This is what you have to hear in our culture today. These things are valuable. They are good. They lead to ministry, by the way. Who's usually doing hospitality in the home when you're inviting unbelievers over and you're trying to share the gospel with them? Who's the one usually doing that? Who's, where does that fall? Where does that weight usually fall in the home? With you ladies. Ladies. So ministry is being done in our world today by having homes, not houses, and by having meals for those of you that cook and for having beauty in that home that you can invite others into and do ministry for the glory of God, right? There are all kinds of ways in which you are contributing to this and finding your role and God is being glorified in it. All right, so here, now I want to stop and I'm going to ask the question, why is this countercultural today? Why is it that today this is difficult? I think this is countercultural today because in many families, this is the hard part to say, wives are busy doing the exact same thing that their husbands are doing. It is countercultural today because somehow... The feminist movement has convinced everyone that women need to compete with men at their job rather than enjoy the the job that God has given them to do. Okay, so we're living in a world that's wanting to increasingly say there is no difference between men and women. And I'm not even getting into the whole trans thing. What I'm talking about is what has come for the past 30, 40, 50, maybe even 60 years of of saying men and women, you can compete for the same jobs, you can do the same thing. Women, go go be men in every way. And we've lost in our culture, what it means to be a woman, according to God's definition. We've listened to culture and we've not listened to God's word. And because of that, listen, ladies, because of that, this is not to shame you. This is not to shame you. This is to say there's joy to be found in pursuing what God has for you and enjoying who God made you to be. And the family is a greater display of God's glory when roles are understood and you're both displaying different aspects of God's attributes and character and glory because that's how he intended it. Most of you hearing my voice, I would guess, have been raised to believe that you, need to be the primary wage earner in your family. I would, I would guess that most of you have been raised to believe that. We've gone generation after generation now. We, it's worked into our culture. And so parents will oftentimes share this now with their kids. Now, let me just pause for an objection. Let me pause for objection at this point. I, I hear an objection coming, okay? And it sounds like this. It sounds like you pastor are saying that women shouldn't be educated or develop skills that would be profitable outside of their family, right? Does, that, does that, is that possibly sounding like I'm coming from that perspective? And this is, again, where I said this last week, I wanna be very careful in my words, and I wanna ask, I wanna plead with you to be very careful in how you hear. Don't hear me say something that I didn't say. Nothing I am saying is suggesting that a woman cannot develop herself to her full potential, including skills, that would be valuable outside of her home. Nothing I am saying is saying that she cannot, should should somehow be forbidden from doing those kinds of things. However, however, understanding this about God's word may change the way in which she pursues those things. What do I mean? Let me give you an example. And I've heard this from women that I've uh, counseled or have been talking to at various points, you know, over the last decade or 15 years of, of ministry, it goes something like this. They tell me, women have oftentimes told me that their parents taught them that they should never rely on a man to provide for them. Why? Because divorce rates are so high and the potential that a man is unfaithful, And leaves you is always so great that you never want to allow somebody else to revive her. You You need that job that's gonna make the big bucks because, man, one day you may be on your own. And even if you're getting married, he might leave you, he might walk away. And it's sort of there's a cynicism that has worked its way into the generation, perhaps above us, that has said, look at the divorces. We have divorce in our family, therefore, Live this way. Live as if you are a single person just for the rest of your life. Do it. So what happens? Well, many women then say, okay, men are not trustworthy. He may leave me. And so I need to be ready with the highest degree possible. I need to be ready with the, with the most amount of education that I can possibly get for that day where my husband might not be the one providing for me. So I'm going to go after it. And so in obedience to your parents, relatives, many women go off and get super high degrees, which is not the problem, not the problem. Debt is the problem. Some of you take $80,000 in debt, $100,000 in debt. And then you go and you got that degree, right? And then you go and you bring that into a marriage. That's hard, that's hard, okay? And some of you, it, it, it's, it's, it sets up this cycle that then can, it's very, very difficult because when you get married and you bring that debt into the marriage, guess what? You're also the highest wage earner in the family because you have a, a degree that cost you $80,000 that's typically gonna produce then your ability to bring in a wage that's much higher than perhaps your husband did. And so maybe he would have to work twice as much in order to make the same amount of money as you would make. And here's my point, not to shame you, not to shame anyone in this room, but to say, uh, notice how advice that is given when you're 12 years old comes to fruition in the middle of your marriage. When you hit 30 and you go, man, I want to have a baby. Maybe I want to stay home and raise my kids. Maybe I want to, Have a different situation than I have right now, but I've been living this way for so long and now I feel trapped and I cannot tell you how many women I have talked to where that is the case they feel trapped. They might be at the highest level of a law firm. They might be at the highest level of a corporation doing fantastic, earning an amazing wage. Everybody is excited about them and the work that they're doing because none of this has to do with their ability. None of it. They're just as capable at that job, maybe in some ways more than a man but now they hit 30, they hit 29, they hit 28, whatever it is. And they go, I want to have a baby, but I'm in this life. I want to stay home with that baby. I want to spend time with that baby because God has made you fill. He has given you inside of you a desire to raise your children. But up to this point, it's like, it just seems impossible. And let me just tell you, it's not impossible. It may not fix. It may not be ended today. It might take five years of a plan. It's not impossible, but I'm just describing the scenario that I know many, many people are in. And and maybe it doesn't need to be said, but I will say it. Whatever job you're at, you are replaceable in an instant. You have... I don't care if you're the CEO of a company, they're going to say, shucks, bummer that you had to leave us. We're going to replace you within a month. But what about raising your kids? What about being the kind of wife that rather than is competing for resources with your husband is actually being the helper that God has called you to be. No one can do that in your family. No one can replace you in that moment. Daycare won't replace you. I'm not saying daycare is of the devil. Okay, I'm saying daycare is not going to replace you. You have an incredible responsibility and role that God has given you to play. Adam's job was to protect What do you protect? If you're a helper to Adam, Eves, and Adam's job was to protect, what do you protect? I wanna argue that your job, her job, is to protect children under her care. So, you have a responsibility to provide in under Adam, and that you are making things out of the raw natural resources that are coming in from the outside. You have a responsibility to protect in the same way that your husband does, except that you're now primarily responsible for these little ones that you just created. That protection falls to you in a unique way, not outside of your husband. He has the overall protection of the family in mind, but you have child raising. That's, that's, on, that's on you. How do I know? How do I know child raising is on you? Is that from the Bible? Titus 2 verses 3 through 5. Here's what Paul says about the older women, what they're supposed to do. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, Paul notices that this is difficult. He says, so older women train the younger women to do so. Now, I got to say something about the generation of baby boomers. I got to say it. I think they've gone astray. And I think we, for the mo- because they've gone astray, because that was when the 60s came in, the feminist movement came in, all of these things, you can be like men, you can compete with men. You don't need to watch your kids. You can primarily put them. We have, re- we've been the recipients, friends, of that. We've been the recipients of a generation that has said, we're not gonna teach this. We're not gonna teach what God says to the younger generation. I'm generalizing. But because of that, many of us are lost on what it even means to apply these principles to our lives because we didn't see it in our parents. But God says, older women teach the younger women how to do these things. What about widows? Here's what he says for widows that can still marry. Paul says, verse Timothy 5, 14. So I would have younger widows marry. Here's what I want them to do. Rather than being cared for by the church on the church's dime, I want them to marry, bear children, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So the apostle Paul in sort of laying out the vision of what should should a woman who's lost her husband do if she does remarry, she should do these things. This is like right off the top of his head. This is what she should do. also going to make a crude argument from nature. It's crude. Bear with me. Eve had breasts. Okay. Here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by that. God has given us a picture in marriage or in, in, in the creation of once a baby is born, who cares for that baby? At least for the first, what year, year and a half, back before Similac was invented, in the late 1800s, it was mom that was going to nurse that baby or what you call a wet nurse, somebody else from the village who was going to nurse that baby or else the baby died. Let's just keep that in mind. That God has said by the very way in which I have created you, God has said, I have a job for you and it's not a job that's demeaning. It's not a job that as the world says is somehow less than the corporate position. It's not a job that as the world says, just sits around kicking your feet up, eating bonbons and watching the soaps, okay? That's the picture that the world wants to give you of what it means to be a wife and a mom. But God says, I have a vision here That is so much more robust, so much more powerful than that. As you ladies take in the resources that hopefully your husbands are providing, make something glorious out of that. Raise your children, do what God has called you to do in these areas. You will find great joy and incredible purpose and fulfillment in your life. Contrary to what the world says. And I don't mean to tell any single person how many hours you should work outside the home, what it is that your life should look like. The goal this morning is to set principles in place and to say to you as with a pastor's heart, if you will put these principles first, you will be glorifying him and you will find greater joy in your existence Nothing in me is telling you getting into the legalistic nitty gritty details of how each and every one of you run your home, how your finances work, all of those things. Happy to talk about those things. One-on-one. That's not what we're doing here. So please don't hear me say all women in this church need to quit their jobs. Don't hear me say that. It's a matter of what will you prioritize? Will you prioritize what God has said to prioritize Or will you allow the world to infiltrate your brain space and create something that is, I think, an experiment? And I think this experiment we're finding now 70, 80 years in the making is not producing what I think the women themselves that were a part of the experiment thought it would produce. So wives, here's a vision for your life. It doesn't get into the particulars, although I do have some pastoral directives to give to you guys. But once we get into the particulars, it gets difficult. So bear with me. I would argue that your job is to image forth God, to reflect him in your home in the unique way in which God is a helper and comes alongside. You are to do that with your husband. You are to specifically take on his task of providing and you're going to change it. You're going to make it into something that specifically God says, this is what you are to do in providing. You're going to take your husband's role of protecting and you're going to change it. And it's going to be under him. And you are going to be in some ways, a protector in the home under his care, under his protection and provision. So here's something that I would advise every family to do. And feel free to take me to coffee if you're like, I don't like this. Number one, yes, I'm speaking to Southern Californians. Listen, live under your husband's income and enjoy his provision. Live under your husband's income and enjoy his provision. I can hear it right now, I can hear it, it's coming. How can we live in Southern California under that? Well, maybe it's not what you do right this moment. Maybe it's something you plan financially for in the next few years. And maybe it's something that puts a little added burden on you men to be providers in a greater way in order to live in this particular way. That's number one. Number two, Enjoy your husband's strong protection over your family. That's a wink to to men. Women are to enjoy your strong protection, both spiritually and physically in the family. Ladies, here we go. Create a home out of the space that you are in. Revel in that. Love that. I want to free you to create a home in the space that you have. Rental space, home that you own, wherever it is, create a home. Make it something. Make it more beautiful than it was before. Here's a suggestion. I know some of you don't do this. That's okay. Learn to cook great meals that gather your family around the dinner table. Do you, do you, meals gather people. And if you learn how to cook amazing meals, people will gather. Like people will come. Your kids one day will be in college and they will come home because of the meals that you're cooking. You get it? That gathers people around the table. It forms a glue and a bond and a magnet, ladies, as you are doing these things. People want to be around each other because of what you're doing. Find ways to care for your husband as he provides. You're a helper to him. Raise your children and teach them to love Jesus. That's not a part-time job. That's not a part-time job. That's a full-time job to raise kids. Probably. Most likely after you raise your kids, your parents will be elderly. Don't put them in a home. I'm coming from a very American background where we Americans in the sense of my ethnicity and who I am, we put our elderly people in homes. Some of you come from cultures where that's the worst thing in the world. That's the biblical standard. (laughs) Right there, right there, you've got it. If you come from a family where it's like, we don't put our elderly in homes, just, just can we cut that out of generational sins that have taken place? Care for your family, but you know what it takes? You know what it usually takes? A strong woman to care for her parents as they age. But because women work, they go full time, They're tired at the end of their years. They want to retire. Mom and dad see you, go to the home. But if you will embrace this, your parents may be living with you and you caring for them in the twilight years of their life. Help your children raise their children. Be a grandma that actually cares for the grandkids and helps the difficult burden that you've already been through in raising your kids, that helps your kids to bear that burden a little bit easier. Be that kind of grandma or whatever the name is that you would take. And here's the final one. And this is the vision for the end of your life, kind of like that tombstone. What do I want on my tombstone? Get ready for it. Be the matriarch of your family and provide a beautiful place for your family to gather so that at the end of your life, it will be said of you at your funeral that you were the magnet that gathered your family. Ladies, you have a unique ability to do this that men don't have. set a vision and a trajectory for your life based upon biblical principles that means that in your dying day your family is gathered around you and that they would say of you in that day you're what kept us together you're what you're what binded us your meals your home all that you did it's powerful And I wanna say to the church, we've gotten away from it as a whole culture. And it's time to come back to what God's word says about this. Now, let me pray for us. And I'm gonna take us right into communion and talk a little bit about Jesus. Lord Jesus, we ask now for the help, not the shame. We ask for the help that comes from you dying upon a cross, setting us free giving us the Holy Spirit for those of us that have put our trust in Christ, that we can be what your word has called.